What up, gang? What's going on? Dude, I was mad worried the entire time when we were singing that I was just going to accidentally flip this bad boy on back here, and this thing was going to come on. Everybody was going to go deaf. That probably would have been a good thing for y'all because you wouldn't, you know, if today ended up being bad, you would never know. <laughs> but um, truthfully, I'm really honored to be able to, to do this this morning. Like, I don't know. Just very humbling. Um, anyways, I'm not going to get emotional. That's a little weird. <laughs> not doing that. But seriously, thank you to, uh, to Brett, Hannah, Justin Brown, like Connor Graves, whoever, whoever decided that it would be a good idea for me to do this. Who the heck am I to do that? But um, seriously, thank you. It really is a humbling opportunity. But welcome. Good morning. It's Fried Chicken Wednesday. Are we going to Fried Chicken Wednesday after this? Come on. Somebody, let's go. All right. Um, but today, we are going to be in uh, Romans chapter 6. So if, we, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip to Romans chapter 6. If you don't, you probably got an app. And if you don't have the app, don't worry. I made slides for you. I ride for the gangs. Don't worry about it. I got you. Um, but why I chose Romans 6 is basically because that's literally my favorite passage of Scripture, like, in the entire Bible, probably. I think it just beautifully Im- illustrates our life before Christ and our life after Christ, like how we are in sin before and then after Christ, we are still going to sin, but the power of sin has no rule over us, you know. Um, so I really, really wanted to, to just pick something that would, would share the gospel. You know, I asked myself the question, Mal, like, what do you want to come out of this? And I just simply answered that question with, I want the gospel to be presented. And that's what led me to Romans 6, because this passage of scripture If you have a relationship with the Lord, you're going to relate to it. If you do not have a relationship with the Lord, you're going to relate to it. So every person in this room is applicable to this passage of Scripture, to this message. So really, really please lean in this morning. Like, I have prayed that whatever is on this sheet of paper, that it would just be made into clay and it would be molded to whoever is in the room. So please, the Lord knows your heart. Lean in. Lean in. Um, But before we get started, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Yeah? Lord, thank you for this day, God. Um, just thank you for this opportunity to, to just be up here. Lord, who am I to be able to do this? Um, Lord, you reign above it all, like we just sang about. Lord, I pray that we would come to know that in our hearts. Lord, if, if there are people in this room that do not know that truthfully, Lord, would you, would you meet them where they are this morning? Lord, would you break down the walls of their heart, and would you meet them where they are, God? Um, would you save them right there in that seat this morning, Lord? You know who is in this room. You planned it before time, God. So would you just meet us where we are, Lord? Um, would you soften the hearts in this room? Would you create open hearts, open minds, open ears to what you would have them to hear? Would you have them learn, God? Um, but above all, could we just glorify your name this morning and, and everything we say and do, God? Lord, we love you and in your name. I pray. Amen. All right. So the big question this morning, everybody drum roll for me, please. Big question. Drum roll is, have you ever had a misconception or a misunderstanding about something? You know, like, has anybody gave you a direction and, like, you think you understand it, and then you do what you thought they meant. And then it was just completely opposite. So I have a little, a little meme, maybe. Yes? No? There it is. All right. My, so I am a student teacher with elementary PE. And my PE teacher, or my teacher that I'm working with, sent me this yesterday. And I was like, this is perfectly going to go along with what I'm talking about. When you clearly explain the same directions to all the kids, and that one kid still be like, you know. 
So, like, he, he knew what he was supposed to be doing. Like, he was running. He, had, he was like, all right, I got to jump over the hurdles. Obviously, did it the wrong way. Um, and I, I see this literally every single day while I'm in an elementary gym. Like, are you kidding me? K-4 through fifth grade, misunderstanding all the time. All right. Like, two weeks ago, I was teaching them how to throw a Frisbee. You wouldn't think that would be very difficult. We had three Frisbees, and they were supposed to throw them to their target. And I was like, all right, you have three Frisbees. You have three chances because you have three Frisbees to throw it towards your target. Some kids got it. You know, they threw one at a time. Other kids were like, I'm going to make a big stack of all three Frisbees, (laughs) and I'm going to throw it at my target, and they're just going to go everywhere, right? And I was like, dude, what? How the heck did we get here? Like, I didn't think I really needed to explain that I needed to throw them one at a time. Like, I would just assume that, you know, that would be kind of common sense, but I guess not. So they understood kind of what they were supposed to do. The goal was to throw the Frisbees to the target. But they had a misunderstanding of, of kind of how to get there. Does that make sense? Um, and that's what is happening in, in Romans 6 at this time. That's what Paul is addressing to the Christians in Rome. The Christians in Rome at this time um, just had a big misunderstanding and, and a distorted view of God's grace. You know, this, the verse that... Um, I think it's literally like right before this, but anyways, um, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. If you don't know where that is, I'm sure you've heard it. If you haven't, a great, great verse. But they took that and was like, okay, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. So I need to sin more in order to get more grace. Okay, got it. I got it. I see what you're doing. Okay, okay. But Paul was like, dude, that's not at all what's happening. Like, how did we get here? Like, exactly what I'm doing every day in PE. Like, how did... We get here, um, and then Paul just goes on to explain that if you have died to yourself, like if you have given your life over to Christ, you have an old self and you have a new self. Your old self is your life before Christ, and your new self is your life after Christ, and your old self has desires that should not look anything like your new self's desires, because in this new self, it's Christ living through you. He creates new desires in you that are desires from him. Galatians 2.20, it's, it's no longer... I that is living, but Christ um, in me. Mm. And then he gives this imagery of baptism, you know, dead to sin, buried to death, raised into newness of life. Um, And being dead to sin just means that you are dead to the pervasive and unwanted love of sin. It's not that you're dead to sin and you're never going to sin anymore. I wish that was the case, but we all know that is just not facts. We all know that we are going to sin again. But you are dead in the fact that sin no longer has any power over you. The result of sin is death. So the result of sin is death, and that has no power over you. Sin is still going to happen, but the result and the rule over it of your life is no longer a thing. Does that make sense? Okay. Um. And he ends the first half of Romans 6 in verse 14 kind of explaining um, how sin is no longer your master because you are now under, under grace. You're no longer a slave to sin but a servant of Christ. And he's kind of using this illustration of, of being a slave to something because it wasn't uncommon for somebody to, to be a slave to someone, like to work for somebody because they needed to pay them back. Like obviously it wasn't as easy to get some some loose change, some spare change back in these days. Like, if you needed to pay somebody back, if I need to pay Hannah Stobbs back for some coffee that she's going to get me, and I don't have five bucks, I'd probably work for her for a little while to save up some money to give back to Hannah Stobbs. That's what he 
It's kind of illustrated here because he knew everybody could be able to relate to this. If they couldn't relate to it, they knew of a situation and they could easily understand it. Um, But when I picture someone being a slave to something, I picture you doing something against your will. It's very unwanted. It's, it's not that you get to do it. It's that you have to do it. I, I have to pay Hannah Stobbs back. Um, it's, I have to do it. I have no choice. Like, I have to give her money back. Um, but when I picture someone being a servant, when I picture someone serving someone, I picture joy. I picture someone, someone doing it out of the genuineness of their heart, um, that, they, that they get to do it. It's not that they have to do it, but that they want to do it. They get to do this. Um, that's what led me to the title of this message, and that is Slave to Servant. Uh, so we're going to start in verse 15 and read verse 15 and 16. So we're in Romans 6, verses 15 to 16. What then shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin that leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness. And that is my first point. We are slaves to whoever we obey, whether that be a slave to sin or whether that be a slave to righteousness. You know, and, and righteousness is just being, being upright, being in rightness with God. Um, and something that I, that I learned when I was examining the scripture was uh, the Greek word that Paul used in this verse to, to describe someone as a slave, he used the, word, the Greek word doulos. And this same Greek word was used back in Romans 1, chapter 1, verse 1, when he is describing himself as a servant of Christ. And I thought that was just a cool thing to put together because that really proved to me that you are serving something. You are serving someone, and you are serving something wholeheartedly, whether that be your master is good or whether that be that your master is evil. There are two masters in this universe, one, two. And you are either serving a master that is good and holy and leading you to eternal life, or you are serving a master that is evil and leading you to death. You cannot serve both. That's not how that works. If you are serving both, if you mix that together, that's called lukewarm Christianity. Do you know what lukewarm Christianity is talked about in the Bible? Have you ever heard what Jesus says? He says he would literally rather spit you out if you are a lukewarm Christian than for you to claim that you love him if you are lukewarm. He'd rather you be completely on fire for him or completely not. He does not want you halfway. That's not the life he calls you to live. So with that, you are either serving sin or you are serving Christ in obedience. You can't escape the fact that you have to serve someone. Um, Some examples of some things that you can be serving other than Christ are obviously your sin struggles, right? Clearly, if you are not serving Christ... It's what you are sinning, and I'm not even going to go into all the sins that we all have. That's your own business. We all know what it is. If you think about it, what is my sin? You know exactly what it is, but it's not always bad things that you can be serving uh, more than Christ, right? It can be good things that you selfishly make into bad things, Uh, and some of those things could be academics, you know? Like, academics are really good things, but if you are serving that more than you are serving Christ, then it's a bad thing. Athletics are good, but if you're serving athletics more than you're serving Christ— it's a bad thing. Uh, your work, your job, your relationships with significant other, with your friends, with whoever, if you're serving all those things more than Christ, it's still sin. People-pleasing. We all like to people-please, right? We all want everybody to love us. If you don't, I'm so sorry. But 
if you are people pleasing and you are doing that more than you have genuine love for Christ, if you're doing people pleasing out of selfish ambition for you of, oh, I really want them to like me, like, it's all me, 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 me. It's not about serving them. You're not people pleasing them. You're people pleasing yourself so people can actually like you and not really discover out who you are truthfully, right? That's sin. You think you're doing the right thing, but you're not. Anything before Christ, good or bad, is an idol. Your obedience to God is the measure of your devotion to him. I'm going to say that again because when I read that, I was like, your obedience to God, the amount of your obedience, is the measure of your devotion to him. So if your obedience kind of looks like a pick-and-choose kind of obedience, like if you're reading scripture and you're like, oh, I like this, yeah, 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 I can vibe with that, but I don't really like this, I'm okay, I'm going to skip that, but I'm going to do this. I like this part, don't like this, nah, I like that. You're, you're, you're picking and, and you're making your own truth and you're making your own God. That's a pick-and-choose obedience. That's not how God calls you to live. Your obedience could look like delayed obedience, right? You eventually obey. But delayed obedience is still disobedience because you're like, all right, God, like, I'm going to obey you. Just give me a little second. Like, let me do this little sinful thing over here. I promise I'm on the way. You're still disobeying. And that kind of has them as a last resort kind of God, right? It's not, I love God. I'm going to listen to him and fully obey and just go wherever he's leading me to go. It's, I'm going to do my own thing until I absolutely can't anymore, and then I'm going to go back to God. That's delayed obedience, and that's not the obedience that God caused you to live in. So what's the obedience that God calls you to live in? Wholehearted obedience. And that just comes from the overflow of your heart that you cannot do on your own. If we are naturally sinful, if we are naturally in our old self, you are not naturally going to want to obey whatever the Lord calls you to obey. That comes from an overflow of the heart that God changing you from within and him being Lord over your life. No one teaches you how to be disobedient. No one teaches you how to sin. Right? I know we've all heard the illustration of, oh, you don't have to teach bad. You don't have to teach kids how to be bad. I realize I teach K4. You don't have to teach them how to be bad. All right? They're going to take the jump rope and put it around their, put it around their friend's neck just for fun because they think it's funny. You don't, no one taught them that. I taught them how to jump, not how to wring a neck. You don't have to teach anybody how to be bad, bro. And in James chapter 1, uh, verse, verse 13 through 15, I think, is saying that, no one should say that God is tempting me because you're led astray by your own evil desires. You, you are led astray by your own evil desires. You naturally have that. But the good news in this is by grace we have been set free from sin. That's my second point. By grace we have been set free from sin. Um, and these verses are 17 through 19. But... In verses 17 and 18, Paul is thanking God that once you have been set free from sin, you begin to serve Christ. Let's read that, 17 and 18. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey him from your heart, the pattern of teaching that has now been claimed, that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Paul does not say you go from sinning to doing good deeds, to finally not messing up, to doing the right things, to saying the right things. Nobody ever hurting, you're not hurting anybody's feelings anymore. Like, but you are engaging in acts of obedience from the heart. And that goes back to the point that I was just talking about of, of obedience to God is the measure of devotion to him. 
and these acts of obedience literally just come from God changing your heart from within. Anything that is good that comes, from you, that comes out of you is not from you. It's literally from the Holy Spirit doing work inside of you, and that's just the fruit on the outside. Verse 19, I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. That's big. Ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. Giving into sin, giving into sin results in people gradually becoming more um, obedient slaves to sin. You are increasingly becoming more sinful. And it's the same, it's the same way with, with doing things for Christ. Like if you are obedient to Christ, you're going to gradually become more like Christ. It's not, oh, I'm going to get saved today, and tomorrow I'm going to be pastor of a church. Yo, like, come on out. See you Sunday. That's not how it works. All right? And so picture this. All right. Monday was Valentine's Day, correct? Some people are happy about it in the room. Other people are still in their feelings about it. But what was yesterday? Yeah? It's half off of all the Valentine's Day candy, yeah? Come on, somebody. Yep, yep. I know you probably went and shopped and get, get, all, the, get all the good candy that's left over. But so if you're sitting there with all of your candy and you take one piece of chocolate, are you automatically going to get insanely round? No, right? Because you have one piece of chocolate. But if you keep sitting there and you keep indulging, you're like, oh, I'm going to get this piece, I'm going to get some of this, and this, 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 and you just keep on eating, keep on eating, that's going to get you in a habit of continually doing that. And then what's that going to lead you to? Round there. Does that make sense? I could have done the whole tree illustration, you know, like, oh, a seed, it grows, and blah, blah, blah. Nah, we talking about getting around up in here. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, it's a continual process for either one. Either continual obedience to sin, and that's gradually becoming more sinful, or con continual obedience to Christ and becoming more and more holy and more and more like Christ. So, what does continual obedience to Christ look like, right? If you're telling me that's what I'm supposed to do, and that leads to holiness and looking more like Christ, what are some examples of that? An example of that is, is loving people that are hard to love. You know, we all got that person in our life that's like, you're working me. But to be like Christ, you're going to love them, right? It's forgiving people that are hard to forgive. We all have that person that has just really, really hurt us. But continual obedience to Christ is forgiving them. It's, <laughs> it's speaking kindly about people in front of them and behind their back. You know, what, is, what does the world tell you to do? The world tells you to match energy. Yeah? Oh, whatever they give you, give it back to them. Treat them how they're treating you. Then they'll see, right? Yeah, that's exactly what I just saw. Somebody posted on Instagram the other day. Give back the energy that they're giving you. Is that what Christ tells you to do? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's actually quite opposite. Jesus tells you, treat people how you want them to treat you. Treat people how Jesus would treat you. You think Jesus would match somebody's energy? Okay, right. Yeah, that's not happening. All right. Another way is, is, serving, is serving others first, you know, people pleasing. But there's a difference between people pleasing and serving other people. You're serving this person out of the genuineness, genuineness of your heart and, and that you genuinely love them and you want to serve them first because you actually care for them. 
the last one is, is denying the desires of your flesh. And what is that? Denying your selfish, your selfish wants. Denying that sin. Denying what you want to do for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of living a holy and upright life. So that was continual obedience to Christ. What does continual obedience to sin look like? Continual obedience to sin leads to more unholiness. It leads to looking more like the world and more like your flesh, more like your old self. An example of this is you're saying yes to your flesh more than you're saying yes to God. You know, if you have a temptation, it's not the temptation that's a sin. Jesus was tempted, but he did not fall into temptation. It's not the, it's not the fact that you are tempted to do something that's the sin. It's when you actually give in to that sin and commit the sin, that's when it's a problem. That's when you are sinning. It's not the fact that you're tempted. It's when you fall into it. But continual obedience to that is you saying yes to, to those wants more than you're saying, yes, God, I'm not going to do this. You're denying your flesh. If you're not denying your flesh, that's continual obedience to sin. Another one is you desire sin more than you desire Jesus. You desire to have those momentary times of pleasure more than you desire to be in the presence of God. Another one, the last one could be like, if I had a person standing right here that said, you know, like, yeah, I'm living for the Lord, like, I gave my life to the Lord like a couple years ago, yeah, we're, we're vibing, we're cool, like, I love the Lord, I'm doing all the things. You have this person standing right here, and you have another person standing right here, and they have zero relationship with the Lord, they are completely in the world, and they are in sin. This person says they're not in sin, but this person is. If you compared their two lives, and nothing was different, the way they the way they live, the way they speak, the way they act, the way they treat people. If nothing is different, that's a problem, and that's what continual sin has led you to. Think about that. Can someone follow you around for three days and be able to live a life holy and pleasing to the Lord? If someone was to follow you around for three days, could they see that you were a Christian? Every day, you have the choice to get up, look more like the Father, or look more like your flesh. You have that choice. You have the choice to live in John 3.30. I must decrease so he can increase. Maybe I flipped that. He must increase so I can decrease. Something like that. You get what I'm saying. I have to decrease in order for him to increase. You have that choice to live in your flesh or to live like the Father. But if you did make that choice to live like your flesh, and we're all going to do it, we're all going to fall, because the rule of sin has no power over you, but you are still going to sin. So when you do sin, what benefit did you reap? That's my third point. Everybody say three. three. That's my third point. What benefit did you reap? If you think that's a weird question, follow me to verse 20 through 22. Uh, verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. This is my favorite verse in this entire passage. Verse 21. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. So when you engage in sin, when you, when you commit a sin, what benefit did you reap? Was it worth it? What did you gain? That's kind of the question here. Um, your, your old self and lost people 
are in sin. Your old self is in sin. Lost people that do not have a relationship with the Lord are in sin. And they do not necessarily know that everything they are doing leads to death and it leads to shame, right? But when you are in your new self and you sin, when you're living for Christ and you sin and you mess up, you should feel convicted. If you don't, that's a problem. When you feel convicted, you should ask yourself this question. What benefit did I just reap? Was what I did worth it? What did I gain? Because I only, I just dishonored the Lord. Like, this thing that I just did, did brought no glory to the Lord, and that's the entire purpose of my life now. Once you are in Christ, your entire purpose of your life is to bring glory to the Father. So what benefit did you just reap? Those choices and those things lead to shame. Verse 21. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things lead to shame. What does the enemy, make, what does the enemy do when, you are, when you're going to sin? He's like, come on, come on. Just eat that one piece of candy. Come on, I know you, do. I know you want it. I know you want it. Come on in. Just do it one more time. Nobody's going to know. It's not even bad. Just do it one more time. Literally, no one's going to know. It's not a problem. Just do it. It's fine. So you give in. You believe those lies of the enemy. And what does he do after that? Complete 180, right? He's like, I told you that's what you are. I told you you're a failure. I told you you're stuck in that sin. I told you that's your identity. You're never going to get out. You're going to stay in that. That's who you are. What's the benefit from the things you are now ashamed of? You're living in shame after that. The enemy is going to put you in that shame because he's like, I told you so. I told you you're a piece of trash. I told you you were going to fail. But the things you do now in obedience to Christ do not lead to guilt. Whatever you do in obedience to Christ do not lead to guilt. They do not lead to shame. And it does not lead to death. Anything that you do for Christ does not lead to any of those things. It only leads to life. And it leads to life more abundantly. Any act of obedience that you do for Christ leads to life and life more abundantly. You are no longer a slave to sin, but a servant to Christ. Sin does not rule over you anymore. It has no power over you anymore. You are going to sin, but if you were in Christ, that's okay. That rule and the result of death, the result of sin is death, that has no power over you. That's huge. Do we get that? Anyways. So, if that's, if that's facts, like if this scripture is true, if we are set free from sin... Why do we continue to sin then, right? That's the question that we all ask ourselves. That question literally eats me alive. Why do I continue to sin if I know that it's only going to lead me to death, if it's only going to dishonor God? Why do I keep choosing to do this? I know it's bad, so why do I keep going back to it? We've all probably asked ourselves that question. And just the simple answers are because our flesh will do so until we are resurrected with Christ. If we're on this side of heaven, if we are still in the flesh... You are going to continue to do so until you're on the other side of heaven, until you're resurrected in glory with Christ. Another reason could be that, that we doubt God and his goodness, and we go back to our old self. We go back to our old ways. We go back to our old desires. Um, we think we miss that familiar bondage, right? We think we miss, we miss the, familiar, the familiar chains, um, the feeling of the sin. You know, like, oh, I, I miss that. Why do you miss it? It's because you're comfortable there. It's because that's your normal. If we are born into sin, 
That's your natural instinct to go back to it, right? That's where you're most comfortable. So when Christ calls you to live out of that and step out of it in obedience, that's not comfortable anymore, right? That's a whole different life that Christ is telling you to live. But over here is comfortable. That's what you're used to. God doesn't call you to be comfortable. That's not the life Christ calls you to live. Jesus does not want you to live in that bondage. He does not want you to live in that shame. He does not want you to live in those chains because he has literally broken those chains. So why would you put them back on you? Why would you live a life with chains still on you and you have the option to get them off? You have heard of the good news of Christ who can literally take those chains off, so why are you still living in it? There's always going to be this tension between what God has already accomplished and the responsibility of his people to obey. There's always going to be that tension. So what has God accomplished? We've talked about it probably five times. What has he accomplished? The fact that rule, that sin has no rule over you anymore, right? That's facts. That's what he's accomplished. But on this hand, you still have to obey. It's true, but you have to obey. There's always going to be that tension. You will be tempted by desires to sin, but you must not let those, those desires gain control over you. So how do we not let those desires contain control over us, right? You are going to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Galatians 5, 16 through 18 says, So I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other. Verse 18, If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So if you're going to walk in obedience with, the, with God, it's not going to be any choice that you make. It's going to be the Spirit helping you and leading you in that. Another one is, is realizing that a man reaps what he sows. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 9. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reap, reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. You're walking by the Spirit and not by your flesh, and people are going to recognize you from what you're sowing. Whatever you reap is what you sow. Whatever you do is what people see. Okay, whatever, whatever fruit that you, are, that you have in your life, good or bad, people are going to see that. The enemy wants you to think that you are in, still enslaved to sin. He wants you to think that that's who you are. He wants you to think that your identity is your sin, that you'll always be stuck in that. But if you are in Christ, you should live in what you are and whose you are. That's my fourth point. Everybody say four. Live in what you are and whose you are. Picture this, all right? You can be legally free and still choose to live like a prisoner. You can be legally free. And still choose to live like a prisoner, and that is not freedom, all right? So picture this with me. We're all in jail, yeah? I don't know what we did, but all of us got in there, okay? We all have our individual jail cell, but praise be to God that Dr. Fant came along. Yeah, probably with JB. Maybe Jody came along. They all got some money, and they paid all of our bail, right? 
Yep. So the guard comes by, he unlocks all the doors, he opens them up for us. It's like, hey, don't worry about it, guys, you're free. Somebody paid your bill. I don't know. Just come on out. And you're like, what? And some people are like, all right, I'm coming on out. Say less. And other people are like, no, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in here. The door's open. The invitation is there. But you chose to stay in that jail cell and live like a prisoner, even though you were legally free, right? You still chose to live in that jail cell. I don't know why you do that, but anyways. A reason that you, that you could do that would be because you do not believe Jesus can actually release you from that grip that sin has on you. So if, we, if we're picturing it as, as Christ paying for our sin, which he has, and he's given you that invitation to step out in newness of life and obedience to live in a life that is free, and you choose not to take that invitation, you're like, nah, I'm good. A reason could be is because you don't believe Jesus can actually release you from the grip that sin has on you. You think that you are so enslaved to sin that Jesus can't break you from that. And that's a lie straight from the enemy that you are believing. Another reason is that you have become apathetic to yourself and your sin. You know, you are thinking you are too dirty for Jesus to do anything with you. I'm too far gone. I'm too worthless. I've heard it enough from the world that I'm nothing. So I'm just going to stay here. I'm going to wallow in my self-pity. And I'm not going to walk in that life that Christ has called me to walk in. You know, last week, I was obviously in, the, I was obviously in PE, doing my thing. Um, and we were learning jump rope. It's jump rope for heart month. And so every time that you come into PE, there's jump rope challenges. And this girl comes in, name's Lexi. And she is just, she's all excited that she's in PE. And she's like, Coach Ward, like, what are we doing today? And I was like, Lexi, big dog, we're jump roping today.